Eight days from now, we go straight to hell. Unless you found somewhere to stop it. Well, when I joined Earth Force, the sign said, greatest adventure of all. <laughs> they only knew. During your little war, you drove away the shadows. Oh, yes. But you did not think to clean up your mess. If a few of their minions, their dark servants, came to Centauri Prime, well, where is the harm in that? Yes? All Minbari believe is around three. Three castes. Worker, warrior, religious. Three languages. Light, dark, and gray. The nine of the gray council. Transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Podcast land. Welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are here to discuss with either newbies who are watching Babylon 5 for the first time or oldbies, first ones, whatever you want to call us, who have watched it way too many times. And I guarantee you, we've watched this episode more than most. We are here today to talk about War Without End, Parts 1 and Part 2. So we are here with our newbies who are going to discuss their first impressions and we're going to talk about the entire two episodes and then we will have them give their predictions and questions they may have after watching these episodes because they have not watched anything past this and then we'll kick them out the airlock and we'll talk any kind of spoilers and I can guarantee there's going to be a few spoiler discussions for this episode and I'm saying all this because I'm going to guess 
we usually get some new listeners here to these episodes that are relatively pivotal. So I'm going to guess some of you are new. So welcome and uh, please don't run away too quickly. We'll see what happens. I'm Scott and with me is Blake, Justin, Mike, Emily, Kevin, Jesse, and Nicole. And before we get started, just a reminder to click all the buttons you see, except for that down arrow. Make sure that you hit subscribe, because only about 50% of you do subscribe, so please do that for us. And if you can, join us on social media. We are on Twitter. I refuse to say the other word. It's Twitter. Uh, Facebook and Instagram and threads, kind of. As well as you can email us at gray17podcast at gmail.com. Any comments or concerns you may have. Along with that, you can join our Patreon. Link down below. And if you join our Patreon at any level, we also have our Discord, which includes a general discussion as well as a spoiler discussion. And that spoiler discussion has been going pretty hard for the past few weeks. So if you want to join on that, you can join us over there. And again, a special thanks to our great council members. Those are our producers listed down below. Finally, what really helps our show grow is to give us a review on Apple. So I'm going to read our newest review, which is a five star. Thank you very much. And that comes from the Zocalo Merchant. The Zocalo Merchant says, great podcast about a great show. Fans of Babylon 5 will enjoy this unique perspective with new watchers and second uh, season fans of the show. Don't miss an episode. Kevin, I believe you have a synopsis for us. Yeah. Jeffrey Sinclair returns to Babylon 5 with a mission to take Babylon 4 back in time to where it is most needed. Sinclair's destiny is revealed. Sheridan sees what will happen to Centauri Prime in the future. And Zathras explains who the one is. And Kevin, we had some discussion about you on YouTube. And by we, I mean several of our more intense fans. And I think we can assuredly say that there are no spoilers in your synopsis tonight. So we should be okay. True. He just reads the fucking things. He doesn't Thank write you, them. Jesse. Damn you, IMDB. Damn you. Okay, well, now let's get into first impressions from our newbies. And let's go to Jesse first. First impressions on War Without End. Honestly, I had no fucking idea what was going on the entire two shows. Um, I tried. And I was like, maybe I just don't have the brain capacity for this show. Like, I don't remember any of this shit. But as I watched, it got a little bit more clear. Um, as clear as mud at this point. I still don't know half of what was going on but a lot of it makes sense going back to the um what was it babylon squared so it a lot of it you know yeah it's a great great two episodes <laughs> don't cuss at me people i i'm fucking struggling here now, now jesse after you know babylon squared you had some pretty strong thoughts on time travel i still oh. dislike it just as much today as i did back then you were even sent a book on this subject to help you get ready for this episode. Uh, clearly, I missed the assignment and forgot to read the book that I got for Christmas. <laughs> so... There wasn't any even any talk of gigawatts. Come on. All right. Is it a flux capacitor? That's the only thing I know about time travel. I moving on. I've already say, do you really think she was going to get the gigawatts reference? Yeah. Even though she did just reference Back to the Future. She did. I got it. <laughs> okay, let's go to Nicole next. First impressions. Wow, this episode was wild. First of all, I texted Scott immediately when I finished watching it, and I was like, why am I sitting here sobbing over Babylon 5 right now? <laughs> like, 
I literally was in tears at the end of the episode and a couple times throughout I teared up. Um, mm-hmm. It was so intense and good. And there was just so many elements and things that happened. And there are so many different plot lines that I cannot wait to dive into. Uh, but overall, it was so good. You know, when Big Daddy Sinclair came on, I screeched like, yeah, you did. I howled. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I was so excited to see him. But I knew it would probably be the last time we see him. Um, and it made me sad. But it was just such a eye opening, crazy episode. And the first time I watched it, I was taking notes very furiously. Like I have four pages of notes. And then I went back and I watched it again because I felt like I missed a couple things. And maybe there was some things I didn't see. Like the first time I watched it, I didn't see that Delenn got a letter too. I completely missed that, you know? So little things like that I missed. So when I went back and watched it the second time, I was like, God damn, it's even more intense now that I like really was able to focus on the episode and not my notes. But it was just, it was so good. It tied up a lot of questions, kind of gave us, an idea of what's coming um, especially with the whole flash forward with Sheridan in the future and you know there was a lot of plot points I was happy about like for example when they were in the cell with Delenn and Sheridan just little things like you know when Sheridan and uh, Delenn were holding hands and Sinclair smiled uh, just so many so many things so I'm going to stop with my first impressions because I'm going to get carried away but I will say this episode blew me away it made me cry and it really showed what a damn good writer JMS is. Emily. So it's a good thing you let us watch this as one episode because if I had to watch this, like the first part and then record and watch the second part, I would have said, fuck you, I'm done. (laughs) I would have been like, nope, I'm watching the whole damn thing. Screw you guys, I'm out. Yeah, so there was a lot going on and I really do not like time traveling episodes like this. There's too many people too. like, yeah, I was annoyed by it. It's a good episode. A lot happens, but that whole like time travel, like this might be the future, but maybe it'll change. Mm -mm. Not a fan. Can you tell I didn't get, well, you are a sci-fi fan. I was about to say I didn't get sci-fi fans, but that's Nicole and Jesse. Emily, you're supposed to be the sci-fi fan. I, the only time hopping thing I like is when DS9 goes back to TOS and there's triples. Trials and tribulations. (laughs) Other than that, I don't want to see it. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So Justin. Um, I expect hate for this. Yes. I know. Okay. Justin, first impressions. I mean, to be honest, probably my new favorite episode of the whole series to this day. I was really happy and touched to see Michael O'Hare back. I kind of had the same reaction that Nicole did, um, where I kind of like squealed with glee uh, to see him back. And I'm really looking forward if we have any kind of behind the scenes information during this discussion, because I would like to kind of know how this whole episode kind of came about. But it was absolutely wonderful to see Zathras come back. It was a good wrap up, I think, to the Sinclair story. So I really don't have anything bad about this episode to say, except I'm kind of curious, uh, Nicole, where you had four pages of notes, right? Yeah, but I have a full size notebook, not a composition book. Okay. Yeah. I had 16 pages. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. I, I I did a lot of shorthand and abbreviations and okay. it looks like serial killer writing, but I can read right. it. So Jesse's just yeah. sitting here shaking her head the whole time when you guys say you had four and 16 pages. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you were talking about, oh, I took a lot of notes. I had four pages of notes and I'm sitting there <laughs> flipping through my book. Like, yeah, I'm about to start my third composition notebook of the season. But anyway. Yeah. Nerd off. Up. 
fight, yeah, fight, yeah. fight. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, I actually pulled a U and I bought 12 composition notebooks because they were 50 cents each. So there we go. I'm ready. That's I'm ready. Girl. But honestly, wonderful episode and uh, can't wait to see where the discussion goes. So before we go to the first ones, because I'm sure one of them will bring this up. Can I blow the newbies minds for a second? Okay. So first off, for those who have watched the whole show, what I'm about to show them is from The Gathering, the very first episode, the pilot. I do know that it's the TNT special edition. So don't at me about how this wasn't the way it was in the 90s. But for these newbies, they watched this version of The Gathering and they saw this scene that I'm about to play for them. And now I want them to have their minds explode. So here we go. kidding it is in the pilot that you watched of a bitch face (laughs) wow i feel like i just got duped okay right (laughs) so again this was not how the pilot was aired in the 90s that scene was inserted actually the scene wasn't even inserted that uh that adr from kosh was inserted after this episode aired for the tnt pilot that was put out before season five okay so if you'd watch this in the 90s that wouldn't have happened but all of you watched this version so you all knew that sinclair was valen oh from the my first episode. god stop i never i never caught that ever i also started a lot of the beyond the rims with your spoilers start now and i would say sinclair's valen just to start the beyond the rims, but I'm I'm just watching the anger build in Jesse right now, and it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm a couple thousand miles away. <laughs> it looks okay. like he's just about to nope right on out of here and be like, "Fuck you guys, I'm done." Well, and that's so I'm listening to all you guys talk about your 72 pages of notes. Maybe my that's my problem is I'm not taking notes, and I have no fucking idea what's going on most of the time. But when I see shit like that, it just makes me irritated. You're, this is why Babylon 5 is so good on rewatches, because there's so many little threads that are laid out that you don't understand that you're missing until you've watched the whole story. Okay, let's go ahead and go to our first ones now and get their first impressions. Kevin, you're up. Other than the uh, the three-part episode with um, no, Point of No Return and Severed Dreams, this is probably my my favorite set of episodes, especially these two. I I really like the stuff with foreshadowing Sher- Sheridan and Delenn's um, relationship, um, but I especially like this the way that the storyline ends with Sinclair because that also means that Michael O'Hare was able to come back and was able to to finish off his storyline. Um, the way that it was intended, or at least the best way I can think of, no matter what else may have, you know, may have possibly gone through JMS's head at any point 
this is just a beautiful way to end Sinclair's story, and I love it. I really like Tim Choate as, as Zathras. He adds a lot. There's some really funny moments with Ivanova in this one. Uh, one in particular where she says, I'll be in the car. And I just love that. She's so funny. This is an amazing, amazing set of episodes, and it it just adds so much to the series. Mike? Um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty darn good set of episodes. I'm actually a little bit with Emily on this one. I'm not a huge fan of time travel stories. I guess I appreciate and also dislike that this one isn't very straightforward. It's not it's not a single jump backward in time. There are actually a few different points in time where you're leaping back and forth and it is a little bit tricky to follow um but um yeah i mean overall the thing i do really appreciate about this episode is definitely not the acting in certain scenes but i do enjoy seeing zathras back i do enjoy closure to sinclair's story Uh, um i'll save my remarks for other scenes as we get there but blake so this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the series by far. I mean, combined together, especially when you go back and look at Babylon Squared. And now you get into some of the stories that JMS's story has shifted over the years. But, you know, parts of this story were scripted out. Other parts weren't. Um, but the idea of giving closure to Michael O'Hare's character. Now, at the time, JMS said, you know, oh, yeah, when I did Babylon Squared, this, is, this was the plan. This is what everything was. And, you know, later on, he's kind of said, I told Michael Hare if he ever got better, he could come back and we would end his character properly. And But there was no guarantee that was going to happen. JMS couldn't say that at the time, though. So I think there's a little bit of truth in all of it. You know, I think he had an idea. He He's always had multiple entry and exit points and ways to do things. And I think this episode, one, his writing ability really shines in this episode. Um, and I think you see an improvement. I mean, you look at the writing around Babylon Squared and you look at the writing to here, I think you see an improvement in him as a writer and in this story. But just the closure it brings for O'Hare and that promise that he made, one, to keep quiet and not share about uh, Michael O'Hare's health, for one, uh, but two, to keep his promise to bring him back for the ending uh, him and his character deserved within the show. Yeah, and I think just a reminder, at, at this point, I'm pretty sure the newbies know all this, but in case somebody's joining us for the first time for some reason, during season one, specifically at the tail end of season one, it was becoming very clear that Michael O'Hare's mental health was not to a place where he could lead a TV show. It just wasn't. So it was originally brought up that JMS was going to put the show on hiatus to give Michael Hare time to go uh, and uh, seek help. But both JMS knew and Michael Hare knew that if this happened, the show would probably be dead. You would have to lay off everybody and there's nothing that says WB and PTN wouldn't just say, okay, we're just going to end it here and call it a day. So Hare flat out said, no, let me get to the end of the season and then you can make a call about season two, but let me get to the end of the season because I don't want all these people to lose their jobs because of me. To Blake's point, we got to the end of the season and we had to lose Michael Hare. But for me personally, this is the best way to end the Sinclair character. Uh, and I don't, I mean, sure, yeah, we may be spoiling things down the road, but it's fairly clear the Sinclair character's arc has come to an end with this episode. And I don't know what Emily and Mike are smoking, but the time travel is fucking amazing. The fact that you go, you can watch, and I dare you to watch Babylon Squared ever again without immediately jumping to War Without End parts one and part two. I have said that I don't watch ahead. I watched ahead after Babylon Squared because I could not finish Babylon Squared a year ago and not watch War Without End because 
aside from a few inconsistencies, which I'm sure we'll talk about, it wraps together so well. And it is amazing that that was able to do be done two years out between the two parts. And to Blake's point, JMS didn't even know if he was going to have Michael O'Hare on hand until Michael came back and said, I'm healthy enough to do this. And oh, by the way, JMS did say after the two episodes were being filmed, it was clear that O'Hare was getting tired and fatigued. And so we're lucky we got this. We are lucky we got this. So like, do we almost treat this as like a three-parter? I do. circumstances, yeah. 100% I do. Uh, I, I think you can watch all three of these and it makes sense up to a point. There again, there's a few inconsistencies, but they all, there's a reason why they're inconsistent. And I'm not going to throw them out now because I'm sure some of you will bring some of them up. And if you don't, then I will. I really do look at this as a three-part episode. All right, we're going to go ahead and dive into the discussion. I have no idea where this is going to go. So let's just let it go. Nicole, what do you got? Actually, before we got really, really started, I wanted to touch on one thing you said, Scott. So obviously, we all know I'm uh, new to sci-fi, not a sci-fi fan, never seen Star Trek. I have no idea any of the tropes. Uh, But to me, if a story or a show or uh, something can connect pieces together and make you feel something, to me, that's how I view quality and I view like a good show. And this like you said, the three-parter thing, that's a great kind of way to look at it because the way that JMS was able to tie all the pieces together, give us this arc, not knowing he would have Michael O'Hare, that to me speaks volumes on the quality of a TV show. And I just kind of, I had to say that because before we start discussing this episode, because there's just so much to talk about, I'm just still blown away by how good the show has been getting with every episode and how much better it's been getting. And, you know, you guys have said it's going to get better. You're going to be in for it. Just wait, just wait. And now now we're finally to that point and i feel like maybe a convert to sci-fi i still don't know about the time travel stuff it's still kind of weird i don't mind it i don't hate it but i gotta say after watching this and after we finally complete this down the road i might have to watch another sci-fi show now you guys might have converted me hmm. Hmm. i've always bring up the uh the lurkers guy in the p5 scores and you know, some of you have said this is one of the best episodes um this is still not the best episode rated of season three. I mentioned interludes and examinations was the top 10 episode. War Without End Part 2 is the top sixth episode of the entire series via Lurker's Guide. We still have one more episode this season that outranks it. So what? yeah, it's okay. in that. And I, I agree with that ranking. And you'll know it when you see it. Kevin, what do you got? I get having time travel fatigue uh, with story writing. I've complained about it a few times with regard to Star Trek, uh, especially when they keep putting it into movies. But Babylon 5 uses it extremely sparingly. And so when it becomes a crutch for um, a writing team that isn't uh, maybe the most you know robust writing team or um, they're, they're just grasping at straws sometimes, I, I totally get it and I respect that. But for Babylon 5, it's used so sparingly that, uh, and, and so beautifully here and done so well, in my opinion, that I don't have a problem with it. But if you're, if you're going to use it too much, it becomes tedious. And I agree. Justin. 
I'm just going to actually address what's the elephant in my room right now. Is this the jumping off point for Long Road Home? Does this have anything to do with that? Because I know you guys have mentioned in the past the reason why we can't really watch it is because it jumps off to different points of time where we haven't seen yet. So I don't. I was just really wanting to know if this has something to do with it. Uh- the one thing I love about, to Kevin's point, on the B5 not using the time travel trope a lot is they are very consistent with the time travel. And I will say that B5 uses time travel once the entire show, including the road home, to an extent, to an extent. So right. there's more to it why we can't let you watch it yet. Specifically, it actually takes place. The, the first scene of the show takes place in season five. So I gotcha. that's why. But... To your point, um, I, it, it, you can assume that War Without End does play a little bit into the road home. All right, fair enough. Blake, what do you got? One well, to kind of throw off a little bit of the conversation on time travel. I mean, Mike, you mentioned this one's a little all over with not just a straight time travel piece. There's kind of jumps around a little bit. And you think about the, the pairing of threes in this show and the way they do things. And they even say it at the end, you have the one who was, the one who is, and the one who you will be. And, you know, the more I've watched this and the more I've seen those time flashes, you kind of see that reflected in the time flashes as well uh, with where the characters jump and what they see. You kind of have what was with uh, Garibaldi and Sinclair fighting a battle on the station. You have a flash with Delenn, more of what is, and then you've got Sheridan with what will be. So you still kind of have that same cycle even within the time flashes of the show. So I think it's just that messaging that it keeps repeating and that idea of things being in threes that you see all through anything Mimbari related. And just to add to that just a little bit too, I started out this whole show with you guys when we watched The Gathering saying you're watching a novel. It's the same idea. Sinclair is act one. Dylan is act two. Sheridan is act three. And Stafford says after Sheridan, that story concludes and we have another story. Nicole. So since there's so many storylines and plot lines in this, I'm going to just bring up one small one that is kind of major, but also very small compared to the other storylines and the Londo aspect. Um, So we see old Londo on the throne. He's the emperor. And the thing that kind of made me think about this was we've had many discussions on is Londo a dick or is he salvageable? Is he going to make a turn back to the normal? Is he horrible? And it was interesting to see the first scene with Sheridan when he's like, you're going to die today. Look what you did. And then the second scene with him and Delin, where he was basically like, go now while you can. And then he asks Jakar to kill him, essentially. And it gave me a little bit of hope that maybe Lando is still in there somewhere. Just a little bit. Obviously, we can't excuse the shit that he's done. but also. Did he get taken? Oh, I guess this might be a question, but it seems to me that he's been d- taken over or possessed by a shadow creature, kind of like how Morden has them chirping in his ear. Maybe that because he said it's sleeping. It's sleeping. I got to do this while it's sleeping, blah, blah, blah. What the fuck possessed Londo? And obviously something is making him act one way, but he's still in there somewhere. So I'm hopeful that maybe... A little bit he he'll come around but i guess not if he's going to get possessed by something so um but yeah it just it kind of made me think of our many londo discussions at that moment because he had a moment of clarity where he was like you guys need to go now while you can you know um so yeah i'm interested to see where that's going to go and then veer picking up the thing at the end so now we know londo will be the emperor first and then veer to follow because 
Lando's dead and Veer picks it up. So I'm assuming Veer will be the next person in line. That it was a very small portion. I figured we could get that out of the way before we get into the heavy stuff, but I thought it was significant enough to bring up. We all have our keepers, Nicole. We all have our keepers. I want to point out that we watched Chakar and Londo kill each other, and that was a lighter yes. part of the episode for Nicole. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was considering, you know, like we saw that coming, though. We knew that that was going to happen by all the flashbacks that we had. You saw it in Midnight on the Firing Line, right. episode two. Yeah. Emily. Well, since she brought up Londo, I did find the Londo aspect of this really interesting. And I was wondering when he had the prophecy about the times where he could like make a change, if this was his final, this was the final one where he could do something to have a different outcome. And they did a great job making him look just exhausted, not due to age, but just the emotional and mental exhaustion of the impact of his decisions and what has become of it and you know he had wanted centauri to return to its greatness and it's destroyed still it's getting destroyed it's not where he wanted it to be and i think it was so well done because you could actually just feel like the exhaustion the regret you know just like there was no point in living anymore because that his death would is basically the only way it could change things and finally just accepting that as the reality so i i did think that part was amazingly well done justin but in terms of like what is taking over londo uh the first time i watched it i thought it was one of those symbiote creatures that we've seen before that possibly he got taken over by one of them and though and that that's what he had to like drink a whole ton of alcohol and get himself shit-faced in order to make that thing pass out so that he could talk to you know sheridan and and, and delenn are you talking the ones from exogenesis the yes okay yes Thanks. those symbiotes gotcha um but then the second time i watched it it almost looks like when at some point there's something attached to like his shoulder so then when the thing starts to wake up and like it's you see its eye open and then that's when jakar and londo kind of fight it out to the death but it was uh i really don't know what it is i almost feel like it's something that we've never seen before i could be wrong but i don't think it's one of those symbiotes from exogenesis i think because it's like a creature like attached to his outside so i don't know when this episode first aired some people were you know annoyed saying you just showed me the end of those two characters so you say you still have two more years of this show but i know how it ends and as you're showing right now you really don't know how it ends you know what the destination is you have no idea what the journey is so it's gonna be a fun is that even, for you all and is that even the final destination that's just one alternate reality out of many that we could mm-hmm. end up encountering Well, we do know for a fact that one timeline does go away after this episode because Garibaldi said the -hmm. attack on Babylon 5 happens eight days from this episode, and that is if B4 does not go back in time. So B4 goes back in time, and therefore we assume next week we'll have an episode that doesn't have the shadows attacking. So you're right. The timelines could change. Nicole. Well, we might as well start talking about Sinclair because I'm itching too. <laughs> okay. So like I said, when I saw him come on the screen, I was super, super geeked. Um, I love him. But you could tell that he 
it's almost like he made a transformation. Like he's at peace with himself. Like the speech he gave Delenn about being the um, sprung from the arrow, and he has a destination, no hesitation, and like he has a he has like a destiny and like a purpose. And it was just almost like a completely different person because he was so centered, he was so focused, and he seemed calm and like like he knew what his destiny was. Yeah, like Zen, you know? Um, so it was really interesting to see the change in Sinclair. Uh, obviously, I know there's probably other reasons, but like as the character, the change in him was really cool. He was just so reserved. And when Marcus and uh, him and Sheridan were in the ship and he was asking him questions and Marcus was like, yeah, don't waste your time. Like I couldn't help but laugh because it was so true. He was so cryptic and like um, it, it was just so, it was just so interesting to see from what he was like before to now, you know, it was almost like a different person, but in a good way. Uh, so as the sh- obviously the show progresses, um, you know, he has a clear journey. Uh, and at the end, when he becomes Valen, that is when I was like totally shocked because even though they said it in the gathering, which I missed, um, I didn't expect that. But yeah, he went, it looks like he went through the chrysalis and he made the change and all that. And when Marcus realized it and the light bulbs went off and then you see it at the end, I was just like, I was crying. I was like, oh my God, what a great way to send him off. And I thought it was so symbolic because even though he was only in the first season, he was such a huge part of the show and almost kind of make, made him like one of the heroes of the series, I think, you know, and maybe that's a big gesture or a big saying but to me the fact that he is actually Valen he's the people that the Mimbari praise and that they see and like he's their god essentially like it was just it was so full circle to me in so many ways and like I just thought it was such a great respectful way to end it obviously he had his issues and he couldn't continue but I just really really loved it and I I just couldn't um you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I, I had hints that we wouldn't see him again, but I thought he was going to die. You know, I thought maybe he would sacrifice himself to save everyone. I didn't expect it to go that route. So I'm glad it did. And he didn't die per se. Um, and I'm actually really glad that he left Garibaldi the message. Um, that was very sweet. And just overall, like the whole Sinclair storyline was just so it was just touching. I don't know. Maybe I'm a sap, but I couldn't help but tear up many times throughout it so i just thought it was really well done i really liked how it all happened um it was interesting to see him and sheridan together and working together because i feel like i was afraid maybe they'd butt heads but they didn't so i just really it was just really cool and yeah i'm sad we won't see him again but i'm glad that they were really respectful and gave him a good ending Having Sheridan and Sinclair together is like Star Trek Generations if it didn't suck. Uh, I actually like Generations. But, Nicole, you mentioned Marcus's comment about Ranger 1. I actually feel like that when I'm talking to some of you newbies about some of your conspiracy theories, and I won't say who, but sometimes you have to hang upside down and look into a mirror to understand what actually they're talking about. Justin, what do you have? I feel attacked by that comment right there. I feel personally attacked. But anyway, Nicole, um, I agree with most of what you're saying with that, but he wasn't as zen about it at the beginning of the episode. Like if you, when they bring him in the box and he has no idea what's going on at this point, And then all of a sudden he sees there that, that there's a letter, he reads a letter. And then after the opening credits, when they go back to him, he's sitting there and he's looking like he's in a pretty bad freaking mood. Yeah. So, so that's me, like he had to grow over the episode 
to finally come into and 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 to accept what his fate was going to be because it didn't really look like he was very excited about it at the beginning. That's why I think that scene between and it's like a really quick scene between Delenn and him are, is so important because Delenn got a letter, but she does not know that Sinclair got a letter and Sinclair right. just turns to her and speaks in Mimbari, I know what's coming. I know. And I you just... can watch her heart break. Yes, yeah. she knows. In that scene, or he too. knows. Yeah, yeah. But also, was... it takes it takes a it takes a weight off her shoulders. Yeah, because now she is not the only one who knows the future. He knows too, so she doesn't have to lie to her friend. Right, Mike. Yeah, I mean, was, I, I think as much as I have said, I don't typically dig these kind of time travel stories. The thing I do really love about this is is the journey that Sinclair goes on through this episode, and then ultimately that there's kind of this twist where you expect that he's going to die. And everyone, for two episodes, the, the expectation is that he's going to make the ultimate sacrifice, and then in a way he does. Um, it's really interesting to me, like, that you guys all picked up on the fact that he wasn't super comfortable with the whole thing, and I would submit that maybe it isn't until well how could you be comfortable with finding out you're going to be like the bone daddy for an entire race of people right like but he goes through his journey he comes to b5 they pull off what is essentially a heist (laughs) and and during this time now he's he's met an entirely different delen he's met Sinclair to Sheridan for the first time he's seen them together he understands now that maybe the future is in good hands and it gives him confidence to do what he needs to go and do and on that note I will also add you've heard of Elf on a Shelf but have you heard of No Hair on a Jeff Sinclair (laughs) Jesus Christ I never get those that (laughs) made me snort that made me snort literally the only note I wrote down I'm curious, and I know a couple of people have their hands up too, but I'm curious. You guys are saying that Sinclair kind of became more comfortable throughout the episode. I'd love to hear from some of you as we go along when you think that happened. I, and it's probably a transition, but when do you think he actually became okay with his destiny? Because Zathras told him back in Babylon Squared, and we also saw the flashbacks with the Soul Hunter and with Nerun. So I, I'd be interested to see where that happened. But let's go to Emily now. So it was interesting that I was like, I wasn't really shocked that Sh- Sinclair showed up. They like revealed it Sinclair and I'm like, oh, cool. He's back. And then like it took him out. I'm like, wait, he's actually back. <laughs> Not on a view screen this time. Like I was, I think there was a part of me that was always expecting him to return based on the B squared episode. Cause I, I could not figure out how this could all work out if he didn't return at some point for something and it was so nice to have him back i thought he actually looked like he was um doing pretty well and it was interesting to see him change because when he reads the letter i wasn't sure if he was angry or maybe like slightly confused about what it how much detail there was because i think at one point he said all it said was i went and so i was trying i wasn't sure if it was like anger confusion or just a combination of a lot and since nicole brought it up about sheridan and sinclair getting along i didn't think so at first because there was tension there when sheridan's like trying to accuse delin of like you didn't know he was coming like, how did you not know? Seemed like you knew. And then when they're all in the little Starfear or whatever with Marcus in the back, <laughs> I was like, ooh, there's some tension there. That's that's quite interesting. Oh, but, I picked up on the love triangle too. Like you could tell oh, yeah. that there that was, was some issues going on with that for sure. 
Yeah, How many things of divorce happened this episode? It was Sheridan's. definitely more Sheridan's issue than Sinclair because I think Sinclair was just like, eh, whatevs. You know. I just ate like, a tomato. What's up? <laughs> right? It's my wife. It's my wife. Come at me, bro. Right, but you know, I have to go sacrifice myself and become this weird. Well, he doesn't become an angel, but I have to transform myself into something else and then become like a leader of the people, and um, so I can't be there for. But it was interesting watching that transition because it didn't seem like he started out very secure in what he was going to have to do. And by the end, he was speaking like Vorlon. Like the cryptic stuff he was saying, I was like, wow, that sounds like Kosh. Well, remember, that's one of the things that was referenced is he speaks like a Mimbari. Well, because he made made the Mimbari culture. So they speak like him. And also, by the way, Emily, every time that you mentioned that Sinclair and Dylan are married, we always came back to War Without End and Beyond the Rim. Just to point oh, out. Oh, I'm sure you did. And yeah. I'm going to be salty about that little tidbit they dropped in the cell for a very, very long time. So <laughs> you can enjoy mocking me for that one. I don't care. <laughs> but apparently, you know, Sinclair is cool. Moving on and letting, you know, her and Sheridan do whatever it is they're going to do that they shouldn't be doing. Well, remember, there's also Catherine Sakai out there, which, by the way, that does get wrapped up in a book. Nicole. I do want to point out when Sheridan and um, Delenn were holding hands, Sinclair did smile. So, but that's not what I was going to say. Um, but like, if you look behind, he just kind of has a little smile on his face. Like he knows mm-hmm. what's up. I think the transition, Scott, to answer your question, I kind of noticed, like, I think he was sad at first. Like maybe he didn't want, like maybe he thought he was going to die and he didn't really want to like change things or whatever. But I really feel like that transition was when they were on the White Star and he started speaking Mimbari to Delenn and said, I see what's coming. And then he made the the um, mention of the arrow thing and all that. I think that is probably when the transition happened, or at least that's when I noticed it. Um, because, yeah, I think I think he was maybe disappointed a little bit in the beginning is kind of how I looked at it. Like maybe he was kind of like, oh man, you know, it was probably emotional for him too, because obviously he wanted to talk to Caribaldi and he couldn't, um, you know, and it, it was probably a lot for him to process. But I think for me, that's when I noticed the major transition is when he spoke to Delenn and Mimbari and said all that stuff. And also too, I wanted to point out at the very beginning when that Mimbari guy that was like his aide or his person said that I have a feeling I won't see him again. And then the Vorlon said that um, uh, he is basically returning to the beginning. He's what is it closed? I can't. He is closing the circle, closing the circle. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a little bit of interesting foreshadowing. And I didn't know what that meant until obviously the end of the episode. And then I was like, oh, the Vorlon was onto something. Nicole, I'm very disappointed in you, by the way. You what? are our shipper in chief, and we have been going for almost an hour. Oh, I was waiting till we talked about Sheridan to get to it. Don't worry. I was about to say you have not brought up Delin and Sheridan's first kiss. Now, I was... it's not Delin's first kiss. Yeah. But it is Sheridan's first well, kiss. Well, I was going to wait until we switched over to talking about Sheridan. Okay. That's a whole nother. Trust me, that was first on my okay, list. Okay. I was just. I like, have a whole lot of stuff to say about like, that. Nicole, <laughs> you haven't brought up the kiss yet. I was just being polite and going in order. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, one thing, and I'll go to Justin, is um, that's one of the other reasons why we talked about time travel already. But one of my 
complaints about time travel usually and i'll complain about doctor who i'll complain about star trek on this and a few other shows consistency usually when you have time travel in a tv show it's not consistent one time it's a bootstrap paradox one time it's a closed loop one time it's multiple dimensions and so forth and so on with this one from babylon square to war without end it is a circle everything that was supposed to happen happens they don't change time not one bit this is how it was supposed to happen. Sinclair mentions it at the end on the uh, the Bridge of the White Star. I'm the one to go back because I did, and I always will. It's a closed loop. Justin. Just, uh, yeah, all is, all has happened as it's supposed to, man. So, one, Sinclair wears that weird-ass smile the entire episode. He does. He's got a weird-ass, like, kind of shit-eating grin on his face the entire damn episode. And it's not just according to, like, any particular thing. One thing I kind of wanted to bring up is we finally get to know what you're about to see has never been revealed outside of the Great Council. How many <laughs> damn episodes have one we of heard our about fans, that? Yep. One of our fans who is watching along for the first time as well. Yeah. Okay, Shannon, you guys know you guys know where she's yeah, been on her yeah, live. Shannon, yeah. She texted me with a screenshot with the closed <laughs> caption and she said, I finally know where it comes right. from. Oh my god, that's what I said like during my reaction video. I'm like, finally, we get an answer on where that is. Hi, so, Shannon. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Shannon. Thank you for sticking with this crazy batshit show. But I'm not I'm just scuttling the rest of what I was gonna say. I wanna hear more about Nicole shipping. Oh, well, let's get into it then. Let's talk about Sheridan, baby. All right. Everyone cool with that? Emily's not, but everyone else is. <laughs> okay. Oh, I am not. No. <laughs> so, all right. Obviously, when his little thing gets oh, by the way, is it just me or did it look like that his little honing device or whatever got attacked specifically, like it shot at yes. that thing. How exactly. did that? How did that fucking happen? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, the, the little blue like mm-hmm. energy, yeah. like like flew around and went straight for him. Right, yeah. it went straight for his thing. So was that meant to happen? <laughs> it I went guess? straight for his thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know right. what I meant. It went straight it, for the bone, Daddy. It really, it was by his crotch. So. I, 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 I had a science teacher once who was doing the experiment with the big Van de Graaff generator, and, and it went straight for his thing. He got nutted. He got nutted by the Van de Graaff. Uh-huh. Which one was this, and do I know him? You do. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Is like like something, some mystical energy source released by some well, kind of fusion bomb, kind of completely nutted Sheridan. Yeah. If you're if you're a quantum leap fan. Which, if you're not, you should be. Speaking of sci-fi shows, Nicole needs to watch. Uh, Both, by the way. I like the new one. They kind of start talking about time as kind of God. And you can kind of read into as you will. If time is set and it is a closed loop, then it has to happen this way every single time. So Sheridan has to get hit. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Or maybe it is, Justin, to your point, something more metaphysical than that. But yeah. Oh, I thought... see, I thought it had to do with the shadows so um he could end up in the custody of Wando. Mm, could be. Yeah. I definitely thought it was intentional. I just didn't know how. Um, but it was interesting to see him go back in time and obviously see Delenn in the in the prison cell. Um, they have a son. I knew it. I knew it. I knew they were going to have a baby. I knew they were going to get together. I called it a while back. So that makes me happy. I want to see this David. Is he human? Is he Mambari? Is he both? What does he look like? Does he have a bonehead? Does he have hair? When are we going to see that? I was so excited about 
them having a baby and them kissing and them being together. Um, I guess I'm the only one who feels that way, but I will take it. I don't care. Um, I was so excited about that. Obviously, the kiss was huge. Um, it was a huge part of his future. And also, too, she even points out like, he has no idea what has happened. She still sees innocence in his eyes. Like the cost is high. So what the fuck happened in those 17 years? Like, I want to know that because man, the way she was talking was crazy. Um, so yeah, so I'm glad that their kid was safe. Um, and I'm glad that they have one. Uh, so yeah, I am fully on board now. The ship has sailed. I'm so ready. I'm so excited. We've kind of circled back to the flash forward scene with Londo and Sheridan and Delenn. Anyone else have anything they want to add about that one before we let that one go? Nicole? I, I did have a thought too. Um, when Sinclair and Garibaldi traveled the first time and that other guy traveled and died of old age, did Sheridan... Is it just me or was it the lighting in the cell where Sheridan had gray hair? Well, so JMS answered that. So okay. when you flash forward, you're actually, and he said leaping, quantum okay. leap, you're leaping into yourself. So Sheridan's consciousness was in old Sheridan. Got it. Okay. And so we do oh, find out that this is okay. 17 years into the future. So this is 2277. Is I didn't even pick that up. Yeah, so yeah. he's got gray hair, and he actually, his uh, his clothes changed, too. Right, and he looked older, but when he came back, he was normal. So I yeah. didn't know if he aged or if he just, <clears throat> if it was just the lighting, but that makes a lot of sense. Well, um, there's a certain animated movie that may bring that up again, too, when you guys get to it. <clears throat> wah, wah, wah. Scott, to answer your question about the Catherine Sakai character... It's uh, book nine, To Dream in the City of Sorrows, which was released on my birthday in 1997. So this is not a spoiler because it doesn't come up in the show. So I'll just say it for those who are maybe interested. So in that book that uh, Kevin just mentioned, Catherine Sakai, who is Sinclair's girlfriend slash one day will be married person. Right. She her. actually she actually does go back in time to be with Valen. She it's becomes possible. a ranger. Mm hmm. And then she gets sent on a mission, and I won't go into anything else, but she yeah. ends up back with, with Sinclair slash Valen in the past. Which oh, and, I know, and this kind of answers another thing, which you guys haven't brought up yet, but I know Lanier brings it up, so maybe that's why you haven't brought it up. This answers another question for us. Not only who Valen is, but why do human and Membari souls start mingling and it's because valen is human and we'll go one step further because again now we can kind of answer this question for you because i know you guys asked it a year ago remember the triluminary when yes. they held it up to sinclair and it glowed the triluminary looks for mimbari souls but really what the triluminary does is it looks for valen type souls and valen's ancestor um, uh, progenitor so remember, it glows for Delenn, too. So here's another thing for Emily to get pissed about. Delenn is a descendant of Valen, because the trilateral uh, is for her, too. You know what? I'm just going to quit. So she, <laughs> my own grandpa. Valen is... Sinclair, I, when you rewatch, enjoy this, because it is true. Sinclair is Delenn's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
Claire and Catherine actually end up together. In the books, they do. And the, and by the way, the, all those books are quote unquote canon. JMS didn't write them, but he and actually that one's written by his wife, if I remember right. Catherine um, Drennan. Yeah, that's that's his wife. Yeah. Um, or his ex. JMS has given the blessing that all those books are canon. And we've been asked this before. No, I'm not going to review all the books on this show. Sorry. For one, they're out of print. Justin, what do you got? Just a random question, a random thought that I just had about you know Sinclair goes to great lengths not to encounter Garibaldi because he knows how Garibaldi's going to be. He's going to follow Sinclair to the death. And he was afraid that if he did tell him what he was going to do, he was just going to try and join up and end up getting himself set back in the past to begin with and won't be around to fulfill whatever kind of destiny Garibaldi has to play throughout the rest of the show. So why then at the End of the episode. Was he then trying to get a hold of Garibaldi, trying to get him to watch his back? Like not get sh- was it not getting shot in the back? This yeah, was exactly. It- this is a closed loop again. So on Babylon okay. Square, if you watch it again, yeah, what Sinclair says to Delin, and we don't know it's Delin at the time, although you guys, almost oh, you guys guessed it was Delin. When he says to Delin, is I tried, and it happened the same way. It, it happened. happened, yeah. So he tried to tell Garibaldi to watch your back because in four episodes he's going to get shot. He's, yeah, he gets shot. Okay, I kind of thought that was what it was, yeah. but. It was like, why did he go? Why did he go through all of this? Because one of my major questions, and I guess I'll kind of drop this a little bit early, is what's Garibaldi's reaction going to be knowing that kind of Sinclair came in? Is he going to get really shitty towards everybody else for not telling him that Sinclair was around? Well, and remember, Sinclair had a reason. That the reason we're only yeah. two years from Babylon Square, but the reason why Sinclair looks so old in both right. Babylon Squared and this, one, it was a fake out to make you think he was a lot older in Babylon Squared. But two, if Garibaldi came with him, Garibaldi would have died too. Right. And I sort of wonder too, before Nicole jumps in there, is if this wasn't an it played in the story, and not to delve too much into the behind the scenes on this particular aspect because both actors are not with us, but these are two actors that did not particularly get along or care for each other well no. either. So I'm, I'm wondering if there could have been some intentional separating of not putting them in a position where they would be in scenes together. That would be my guess too. Because That's a good point. It was yeah. to the yeah, point that where, where um, you know, I, I don't, I, I think, I, and I hate to say it this way, but it's pretty clear from the reading I was doing that I think O'Hare would have lasted longer had jerry doyle not been an ass yeah and he's gonna say it yeah and and blake i I completely agree i mean they're both gone so they can't defend themselves but i've read some uh transcripts and kevin you may have read the same ones from jerry doyle's uh radio show because he was a conservative radio host for a long time and what he said about o'hare on that radio program um he was not kind Mm. so he was not kind when you have a certain uh viewpoint and you push your agenda about being shitty to somebody with mental health problems, you know, and then become a conservative radio host. It's pretty, you know. Yeah, I will. I will quote my good friend Kosh. The truth is a three-edged sword. What was his beef? O'Hare. You know, there were times when you know he was kind of MIA from the from the set. There were times when they were trying to move the schedule around to you know, try and make things work for O'Hare. And so my guess is, you know, Jerry Doyle was completely unreceptive to humanity as far as somebody with mental health concerns and didn't give a shit. Well, and again, I mean, 
neither one of them are here to defend themselves. So on, I, I will add a little bit to that on Doyle's perspective, because he did talk about it on his radio show. And I read the transcript of one of these. So a couple of different uh, reasons. Uh, so one time O'Hare said, hey, I don't want to drive to work. Can you pick me up? and I'll buy you breakfast. And Doyle's like, great, we'll, we'll go get breakfast together. They sat down for breakfast and O'Hare, who was probably having a bad day uh, mentally, said, I don't wanna talk, I just wanna hear you talk. And that set Doyle off because he was like, why am I, why am I here? There was another time at a bar after, um, after wrap of a show because they always wrap the show on Friday and they go out to get drinks. And Sheridan, or Sheridan, O'Hare was being standoffish. There was also some potential concerns about how he treated, O'Hare treated staff. But again, to Kevin's point, the man was dealing with severe mental health issues. So uh, I, I do agree that I think at the end of the day, Doyle poked him with a stick a lot. That's disappointing. I don't like to hear that. Yeah, it's, and again, uh, the truth is probably somewhere down the middle, but sure. I, I would agree with Kevin. I would lean on the fact that Doyle should have respected the fact that O'Hare was having some mental difficulties. Uh, but the other thing too is we don't know who knew that. So JMS absolutely knew that. David Nutter knew that because he was the producer and JMS took it to him. But that's the only ones we know for a fact because JMS said so. He said, I went to David and I knew it and we knew it, but we also kept it quiet to Blake's point earlier because we didn't want to damage O'Hare's career if he ever did get back to being able to handle acting. So it's rough. It's sad. And unfortunately, that's the thing with this show is, you know, Star Trek Next Generation just had Picard season three where the entire cast came back and it was a great, I think it was a great season. We can't do that with these guys because half of them are gone. And so we can't have them come back and say, this is what happened. And it's really yeah. depressing. Mm. Nicole. God, that was depressing, but Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I did want to say one thing onto what Justin was saying about how is Garibaldi going to be shitty. He did get a message from Sinclair and I'm sure he explained everything in the message. Also, he told Sheridan why he didn't want to see Garibaldi. And I'm sure Sheridan will tell him as well. So I don't think, it'll be a problem hopefully not but um he did leave him that message and we we only saw part of it we don't really know what exactly was said in the message fully i hope you got, well, got and, a kick out of the passwords by the way he actually said one yes. of the passwords was fasten and zip yes <laughs> yep sinclair did explain everything to him in the in and in, in the uh, message and sinclair did explain everything to sheridan it doesn't mean garibaldi's gonna be happy about it that's all I was saying. So I'm kind of curious if there's still kind of a weird thing that happens. Mike, I just want to I want to lighten the mood and leave you all with this Sinclair discussion with a, an intergalactic mystery to dwell on for a moment. When Delenn uses the chrysalis device, she grows hair but keeps her bone. Now Sinclair uses the chrysalis device and grows a bone but has no hair. So the question is, did he lose his hair? Or is he shaving his head? These are the hard-hitting questions and commentary you can expect from Gray right. 17. Buttholes. Contact Scott at Gray 17 Podcast <laughs> with your thoughts. I thought you were going to go a little bit farther and said, did he grow hair elsewhere? But whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we haven't talked about the fact that this whole Valen thing is, is it's really, it's really a bamboozle on the poor Mimbari people. 
that the Warlons are in on. Which oh, I he's have... not Elron Hubbard. Come on, I do I do have some questions oh. about how the Warlons? <laughs> to our Scientologist friends, <laughs> hi. <laughs> I, I Zenu says hello. I want to know how the Warlons just happen to rock up on B four before the Bimbari get there. And they form a story with Sinclair slash Valen about how they're going to trick the Mimbari people into accepting this bizarre human space station. Because they straight up said that if he was human, they would have told him to go F himself and they would not have used B4. So they had a plan. I just referenced Picard season three and I'll do it again. There's There's a scene in one of the episodes where the captain of the ship tells Riker, Picard, and 709... I'm going to walk out and so you guys can get your shit story together. I'm just thinking the same thing. Like, Zathras and and Sinclair sit down with the Vorlons. Okay, here's right. our story. I guess that's no, honestly, Zath- Zathras is the mastermind. You're absolutely right. It's the yeah. only explanation. I legit wrote down on my notes, who the fuck are these guys? Yeah, so Zathras is like, all right, listen up. He's he's going to go shave his head. You two, pop them suits. A couple, of, a couple of grunts that drew the short straw are going to come aboard in a minute and find you in this corridor. I'm watching the gear spin in Justin's head right now. <laughs> yeah, it's that's the burning smell you're getting right now as I'm trying to process all this. I do want to throw out one more thing because this is another answer that you guys haven't brought up yet. And that is when you do a rewatch now, remember this when you rewatch, the Vorlons know everything that's going to happen until this point because Sinclair would have told them because to your point how do they get the Vorlons to help him he comes back in time and says here's what's going to happen and I need your help to defeat the shadows in a thousand years from now so you can extrapolate that Kosh and the Vorlons know exactly what's going to happen up until until now now. so okay okay so I have a question about that then so Last episode when Kosh got Kosh. Yeah. When he seemed really afraid of going after the shadows, did he not know then that exactly. he was going to die? You think well, he did? Some of that question, because this came up in the discussion on the Usenets about that episode, is if you think back to the episode Passing Through Gethsemane, I believe was the one, and Brother Edward sits there and talks about what he often wondered would he have the ability to go knowing he would die? And they extrapolated that to the episode with Kosh is, did Kosh have that reluctance? He knew what was going to happen. He knew where things would go. That doesn't mean he wasn't reluctant or afraid of it. Or, yeah. And you can also, you you can go a little farther and say, we don't know if Sinclair interacted with Kosh or interact with anybody when he he obviously didn't interact with Kosh because Kosh is dead. But we don't know if he interacted with anybody else in the station to even find out that Kosh was dead. Because uh, remember, we were told they weren't going to tell anybody that they were dead, that he was dead. Oh, oh, so, so Sinclair so, so may not know Kosh is dead. Okay, may. But not. I guess, but uh, but I guess that just plays to the overall, um, I guess, theme of this season is people having the courage to face their fates yeah well and to, some, goes, to, a, to a certain yeah. degree yeah because even okay let's assume let's assume for a minute that sinclair does not know that kosh has died mm-hmm. so sinclair is going to go back in time and tell the vorlons and we we, we know kosh is alive at that point uh, that this is what's going to happen up to this point so that's another thing too kosh says i've been i've grown accustomed to living a long life everything he knows ends when Sinclair takes the jump back, everything else is 
gray. He doesn't know what happens next. So he has lived a thousand years knowing that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Now he's facing the great unknown like everybody else. And yeah. so it scares the shit out of him. Rightfully so, yeah. That makes sense. So that just, I mean, that just goes back to, again, I love rewatching the show when you know the beats because mm-hmm. it gives you a whole new dynamic. Kosh doesn't know the future for the first time in a thousand years. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Nicole, what do you got? This is unrelated to anything, but damn, at the very beginning, Minbar looked cool as shit. It looked really cool. Like, it was very, very neon, very 90s looking, very beautiful. If I was going to go anywhere, I would probably choose, I would want to go there because it was even cooler than that Centauri Prime castle at the very beginning of uh, (laughs) that. So, yeah, Minbar looked cool as shit. I just had to point that out. Yeah, that's a good point too, Nicole. We used to, in season two, we really hyped on the fact that they got really good at the visual effects compared to season one. I mean, this episode alone opens up and you've got a fleet of ships around B5. They're continuing to up their game with the visual effects and everything is CGI, except for like some map paintings. Then what in the hell happened in that scene where Sheridan's time doohickey got damaged because that looked like (laughs) crap. Well, I will say the other thing that looks like crap nowadays, especially on an HD screen, is the scene, the very first scene with Sinclair and Rafan. You can tell it's completely on a blue screen and they got chroma keyed out because the frame rate is shit. It's like 15 frame rate. So if you watch Sinclair is moving like he's an old video game because that's just that they didn't have the technology. So, but they're getting there. They're getting there. This is why... Somebody needs to buy the Babylon 5 reboot so JMS has a budget. What else, guys? Does anyone else not like Zathras? What? I kind of love Zathras. Zathras is the key to the whole series. How could you not love Zathras? <laughs> you know? I, I do want to point out, too, Jesse backed into this on social media. So, Becky, uh, Becky, Jesse just made a joke on social media like a month ago about Zathras, not knowing that Zathras would come back, not knowing anything. And everyone just started piling on Jesse's comment. And I, I, I love the fact that she had no clue <laughs> that she had opened a whole can of worms with Zathras. But it I was fucking perfect. love Zathras. By the way, that was Emily that said she didn't like Zathras because I know everybody likes to say that we all sound alike. Which they don't. We, at we all. do not. Fuck alone, it was not me. <laughs> no, you know, I'm going to be the one pissing everyone off this episode. So Emily, okay, for those keeping score, Emily does not like the episode, does not like the time travel of the episode, and does not like the most important person in the entire goddamn universe Zathras. You know, oh, I'd like is. to give Scott a hard time for being contrarian, but maybe that's why you two are friends because y'all are both contrarian just for contrarian's sake. Honestly, honestly, don't think Emily likes Babylon 5. <laughs> you know, that's not true. That's not true. She's told me she enjoys it. I, and it might, I just might be having one of those weeks where like everything is irritating me. And like, I know he's important. I know he's doing what he's supposed to do, but something about the character just grates on my damn nerves. And I think it's the clicking, that clicking yes. thing he does. That is annoying. It's just like, yeah. fucking stop it. Like, I can't. I can't with that sound. It's, and yeah, that's what it really is. Oh, I'm going sa- to put that does. in my memory bank. Yeah, I'll just yeah. start randomly. <laughs> You'll be thankful you live for No one listen to Zathras. 
<laughs> Either way, bad for Zathras. <laughs> it is bad for Zathras. good at doing, so Zathras do. <laughs> Draw tell Zathras what happened. Zathras do. I don't like uh, Dolin and Sheridan's son either. Haven't met him, don't like him. By the way, did you all appreciate the whole we okay. couldn't get the did you all appreciate the whole we couldn't get the actor who plays draw or either actor who plays draw to show up? So it's like draw's too busy working. He's we don't busy. want to do it <laughs> right now. So the headline out of this episode is Emily hates children. <laughs> Teenagers. <laughs> Mike, what do you have? God damn it, you just ruined me here. Uh <laughs> To be to be perfectly honest, I, I'm going to say this. I think Emily hit upon something here, maybe unintentionally, that that I will echo, and that is, I definitely like part two of this way better than part one. And there were a bunch of things in part one that, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, are not that important, but they they kind of set a weird tone that soured me on it when I watched it because I watched part one one night and part two the next night. Um, one of which is the one you mentioned, the terrible special effects of Sinclair talking to uh, the, the envoy, the Western Union dude, uh, did not look great. The first time you see the Zathrai on the bridge-looking structure in The Great Machine, A, The Great Machine doesn't look that impressive, and I swear to God, Zathras doesn't have all of his face makeup on. The third scene that bothered me to, to no end is the video recording of Ivanova from the few fu- from the future that doesn't happen? That was not good acting. I'm sorry. Really not good acting, not like good writing. Porn. It looked Here it real comes. bad. Well, I'm sorry. You can send your hate mail to Mike at Gray Seventeen on that one. It was bad. And I, so, I, like, I felt like those things kind of stacked on top of one another and like gave me a bad vibe for the rest of this episode. You didn't like the. The, the scene on CNC where she's going to fucking die? No, because she's like kind of gripping a railing with one hand and just looking at nothing and going, oh my God, they're coming. They're coming from everywhere. I don't know what's going to happen. I could act that scene better. Oh, <laughs> we're going to get Claudia back. I'm and I want to play this yeah, for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, come on. It, she, but... she knows she's going to die. It was not. Even says, here it, it comes. It didn't feel like it. It looked like she was reading from a script. Nicole, what do you got? I was just going to point out, like, we were talking about Zathras earlier. I kind of feel like he's an idiot savant. Like, he's the key to everything. He's, like, maybe uh, even more important than Valen. Like, Zathras is kind of the guy, you know? But he's kind of got that, like, idiot savant vibe. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's more to Zathras than we think. He's space Jesus, by the way. I've already (laughs) fucking called it. You also said that Zathras was Lita's and Kosh's love child. I stand by that. Poor, got all of Kasha's looks on that one. Justin. I mean, really, it's nothing It's nothing really different than what you see in a lot of series or episodes where a character disappears in the first act just to come back in the third act and save the day. Huzzah, that's what Zathras did for us. And yeah, honestly, like he's, yeah, he's the, he's the one grunt. He's the one guy that kept the whole thing moving because if he, if it wasn't for Zathras, none of this would have succeeded. You're right. Zathras is space forest gump. <laughs> <laughs> he's not an idiot savant he's just the best at following directions it's what? funny because it's true Jump, oh why did God. you put that rifle together so fast because you told me to sergeant 
<laughs> Gump, you were a goddamn genius. I just watched that yesterday. <laughs> oh my god! Gonna be Space a general Force one day. <laughs> that oh is Zathras. Scott, we may have lost control of the show. <laughs> we did that about Has twenty episodes. Ever had ago. control? Yeah. Right. Actually, shit. About forty episodes ago, we lost control of the show. Okay. Also, I'm gonna point this out too. If Sinclair goes back in time and becomes bone daddy for the Mimbari and he shares his knowledge of the future with the Warlons, he didn't skew things at all to his like to his personal taste. Like he didn't teach them, you know, I mean everything came from one man's perspective. And so they laid out like a thousand years of plotting and planning based on just what Sinclair could remember. We would be totally screwed if any of us went back. Okay, so now I want some I want some additional fanfic where like poor Zathras goes back and he's like, I'm gonna meld the human species and he goes back in like this island and works diligently for years and it turns out to be like this like island tribe that gets wiped out, you know, eight hundred years ago. I'm just imagining what it would be like if Garibaldi was chosen to go back in time and <laughs> Garibaldi with a bonehead. And his Second favorite thing in the universe. At least he wouldn't have to shave his head. There'd be a lot more Bimbari. What if he grew hair? Oh, Oh, boy. Emily, save us. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm sorry. God damn it. Um, Do we know, is Zathras his name or his species? Because it drives, like... You ready for this? You ready for this? Yes. I was about to say, Ah. I swear on all that is holy. If you tell me it's both, I'm going to walk out of this damn room. (laughs) it's kind of like kosh when they said when uh sinclair asked which species the narn or the centauri yes all right so this is where i have a mental breakdown thank you, thank you. and we actually did see two zathrai at the same time we did i know and zathrai. it was very disturbing oh you just wait justin god there's gonna be a zathrai. to further derail this bullshit <laughs> is is zathras the genetic founder of the sasquatch <laughs> God's sakes. Oh, Jesus Christ. You just got, you just got Zathrai walking around in northern Canada. <laughs> no one listened no, to Zathras. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's where Blake like, just opened up a bottle of whiskey and just started going. You know, before before we used to say we Can got Can you send that this way, Blake, please? Yeah, we just got Zathras is what Hold we on. did. Yeah. And it's- what... To- and what did the Zathrai see when a when a, a Vorlon pop out of their suit in front of them? Is it just him? <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just a mirror image of Zathras. He's like, oh, a friend. <laughs> okay, my meme friends, because you know who you are. I want a meme of Kosh opening up, and it's just Zathras. Go. <laughs> we expect high quality memes of this fuckery, okay? <laughs> and you guys deliver, and it's great. We need more. Burn it to the ground, motherfucker. So, since we're talking about Emily's head exploding in Zathras, I do want to get into a little bit of the inconsistencies consistencies between Babylon Squared and War Without End. Now, I don't think. Did any of the newbies watch Babylon Squared again after you watched War Without End? No. Okay, so you may not catch any of these. But a couple inconsistencies. One, in Babylon Squared, Zathras is is said to have magically appeared in a conference room while the uh, Babylon 4 team was talking. And of course, in War Without End, he's trying to find the right tool and gets arrested. Uh, So that's one. Another one is, and this is a big one. 
you guys all talked about it in Babylon Squared. Remember, we saw the hand touch Sinclair, mm-hmm. and you all said that it was Delenn based on the voice, and it was. I thought but it was you... Sinclair touching himself. No, God damn it. not when he shocked him. It was... <laughs> no, no, not oh, when he shocked himself. Oh, okay, I'm talking at the okay. end of the episode where Sinclair okay. takes off his helmet. And he says, I tried to, and everything happened the way it happened before. Yeah, yeah. And you see Delenn's hand touch him and says, we have to go and so forth and so on. And you all agree that it was Delenn. And the reason why you didn't see her face is because she had transformed. Mm-hmm. But if you watch War Without End, she does not touch Sinclair. Right. She doesn't touch, she does him. touch him. Oh, shit. Yeah, she does not. Uh uh, the other one, which isn't an inconsistency, but to Nicole's point, you all thought that the one in the spacesuit was Sinclair. Not once in Babylon Squared is the people you see in the spacesuit Sinclair. Not right. once. It is Sheridan, and then it is Delenn. <laughs> Damn. You all were wrong on that one. Yep. I will say on the inconsistencies, just to defend JMS a little bit, he actually did point out, I had a whole scene where Zathras was going to pop up in a conference room, but it would require about three more minutes of scenes because Zathras doesn't time jump in War Without End. So you would have to explain why Zathras is just appearing somewhere, which wasn't a part of the storyline. So he cut that out. And the reason why Delenn doesn't touch Sinclair in War Without End is because they could not match the costume. They tried to match the colors of the costume Delenn was wearing, Mirror Furlong, and they could not match the colors, so JMS said, fuck it. Wow, okay. No one's going to watch this again on, you know... Media, it's only on TV. They'll Those never nerds aren't going to go back and watch that shit. <laughs> well, and JMS we talks about that. It's crazy. You know, the 90s, you know, they the, no, none of the channels were going to replay Babylon Squared before they played World Without mm-hmm. End. So that's why they spent so much time in World Without End re, replaying and retelling the story, which Mira Ferlin talked about a lot because she was like, that dialogue's tough. You know, I've got to explain basically you know, the entire plot of Babylon Squared for the audience because a lot of people started watching it in season two. And so she's got to do a heavy dialogue of just explaining plot pieces and, you know, to a certain extent, time travel, which, you know, some of us don't love. So I will say not her favorite part. The one nitpick I will give to this episode is one of my favorite two-parters of the show. I mean, it's it's only one of two two-parters, but it's one of my favorite episodes of the show. Is my one nitpick is literally two minutes before this happens, uh, Sinclair, uh, Delenn shows a video of the White Star appearing out of nowhere and blowing up a bomb. And everyone's shocked that it's the White Star. And then like two minutes later, the White Star is driving towards Babylon 4. And everyone's like, what's that? That's the fucking bomb that you were just shown on the video five I, seconds ago. I noticed that too. I was like, they just fucking saw that like five minutes before. That's my I one was like, like dealing with us. Like, God damn it. This is why we can't have nice things. Delin just told you what it was. Blow the fucker up. <laughs> okay. Anything else you all want to mention about War Without End before we get into questions and predictions? The snow globe. The snow globe. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that scene. The other, and the, the lids flash forward. When the door yes. opens. Yeah, who was that? David. Good question. The no, it was a girl. Familiar. It was a girl. It was a woman. It wasn't a boy. Yeah, Emily, you said it sounds familiar? 
It sounds really familiar. And my brain is like, I know who it is, but I'm not going to fucking tell you. So it's playing that nice little cat and mouse game. Okay. of I know it, but it's I will, I will say, because somebody asked JMS back in the 90s, are these scenes in the past, in the future? They are all flash forward scenes. Every single one of the scenes you see are flash forwards. Because I think we've seen the snow globe before, haven't we? I thought it was, we saw that it was a gift from someone, but I can't remember if it was his wife or his sister, but the voice didn't sound like his sister, at least not to me. I was wondering if it's actually his wife somehow. I don't know how that worked, but you know, weird shit happens apparently. Dun, dun, dun. Is it Zathras? <laughs> <laughs> he, he came to fluff the pillow? Zathras and drag. Zathras fluff, Zathras fluff pillow? You want Zathras to jerk you off? Oh, what kind of hotel okay. is this? No one ever touched Zathras. Zathras <laughs> never get reached around. Zathras, Zathras oh, always no. have to touch. No one ever touched Zathras. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've just, I've just. No, you're not. Zathras. No, you're not. <laughs> okay, let's. On that note, let's yeah. go ahead and ask our newbies. And if you're brand new to us and you're still with us, congratulations. <laughs> there is no pot of gold at the end of this fucking rainbow, but congratulations. <laughs> so we ask our newbies before we get rid of them if they have any lingering questions or if they have predictions about what will happen next. And again, our guys have not watched past War Without End part two so next week and yes i do know that there is some timey-wimey chronological stuff we're using this viewing order so just deal with it the next episode they will watch next week is walkabout so let's go ahead and ask our newbies if they have any lingering questions and predictions let's go to justin first questions and predictions um yeah i got a whole lot of questions here um what is the next great story we heard Sinclair is the beginning, Delenn's the middle, Sheridan's the end, and that creates the next great story. What is that? I've got two story? years of this story, man. Chill the fuck out. You know what? I'm a man who likes to look ahead. Do Sheridan and Delenn actually make a David? Does that actually come to pass? <laughs> is the only way to prevent the Centauri Biff timeline is to surrender to the shadows? And is it truly unavoidable? Why does Delenn tell Sheridan not to go to Zaha Doom? <laughs> I like how you look at him, like, after you ask him. <laughs> I have to, well, no, I have to look, because I have to read what I have down here on my sheet, man. I like it. And, and my only prediction is Sheridan goes to Zaha Doom, and scene. Yeah, because everybody's telling him not to go. Kosh told him he won't be there. I think he's going to end up going anyway, and it's going to have tragic consequences. Jesse, questions, predictions? Okay, my one and only question is, what the fuck? My prediction is this will be one episode that I offered absolutely zero quality <laughs> discussion in any way, shape, or form. So if you're new to this podcast, welcome to my life. I don't have shit. I guess that I could just let with that. I don't have the brain capacity today to have shit. We'll have fun with that one later. Don't worry. <laughs> Emily, questions, predictions? No predictions. I've given up those. <laughs> <laughs> just um yeah it's not even lint yet i was gonna say it's not even lint no giving shit up on this we, I don't do lint. doesn't matter um first question why is sinclair's writing in a horror film font like any explanation for that yeah she's, she's she's got a point 
it, it was a little concerning. I'm like, that looks like serial killer writing, but we're going to go with it, apparently. I'm just glad it wasn't me having to go back as Valen because no one would read what the fuck I wrote because it was like... Oh. Um, have we talked about the actual lifespan of a Vorlon? Is it like a couple thousand years? I'm assuming it's over 900 because it looked like the one that was with Sinclair's friend was the same one when he showed up as Valen. We we have been told that the Vorlons live exceptionally long lives. Yeah, I didn't know if we had a time frame for exceptionally long, so. Okay, and then really, it's just, where the hell did that snow globe come from? Because I can't remember, and um, who was that voice? Which hopefully I'll recall sometime in the next week. I'm going to spoil something for you right now. The snow globe is named Rosebud. And it's a sled. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> At least Justin is well-read or well-watched. Oh, I know the reference. And By I the way, the fire. just because I, I haven't pissed anyone off that's a film buff for a while, that movie sucks. It was terrible. <laughs> It was that movie. Toss it in the fire. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. It's oh, fucking terrible. I've never terrible. seen it. Never seen it. Yeah, it's, it's the best a... movie of all time. No, that's no, not a good it's movie. It's the most at all. unwatchable film of all time. There's actually a, a HBO movie with uh, Lee Schreiber that is about making of Citizen Kane. That's a better movie. That's better. Yeah. Than Citizen Kane. <laughs> and I still wouldn't watch it because it's about Citizen Kane. Okay, Nicole. actually, it's pretty entertaining. It's a good movie. Okay. Yeah. And it's got Lee Schreiber. Schreiber, whatever his name is. Sabretooth. Nicole, questions, predictions. I also wondered if that Vorlon we saw at the beginning with um, Sinclair's friends saying that he was the going back to the beginning was the same Vorlon that was with him uh, when he became Valen. What the fuck happened in that 17 years that took away Sheridan's innocence? I want to know. When are we going to get to see David? When did they make David? And when do they officially become an item? And can Nicole watch them make David? Well, no, but... <laughs> I mean, she wouldn't say no if it was an episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm just very curious on when that whole thing kicks off and if we'll actually ever get to see him or if it's just a mythical creature that's out there that we know exists that we don't see. Like um, a chupacabra. Yeah. And David then... actually has horns and some teeth. <laughs> but I just think it's funny, like, it's we're talking about making a David like he's a pan of lasagna. and then i think other than that i don't really have any other questions per se because i kind of said some throughout the episode prediction wise i think this is gonna kick off a whole new fucking realm of shit show that's coming our way with the shadows and uh just in general like if we thought shit escalated before i feel like shit's about to escalate even more so um so i'm curious to see where it's going to go now that this huge thing has happened and all these revelations were made what's next that that's what i'm kind of curious about is like to see where it goes and i think it's just going to only go up from here so the the name of season three because babylon five names all their seasons the name of season three is point of no return yeah you can also call it shit escalates i think yeah yeah that all nicole uh yeah i think so Okay. Well, that will end it for our time with the newbies. We'll go ahead and eject them out the airlock. And then when we come back after the credits, uh, Blake, Mike, Kevin, and myself will answer these questions and predictions and probably talk a little bit more about the spoilery realm of War Without End. Until next week, when we talk about Walkabout, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Justin. Jesse. Kevin. 
Mike. Emily. And Nicole. Let's jump on in. That was fucking fine. I just remembered. I just remember that I was last, so I was like, when yeah, everyone else was goes, fucking I just after Mike. I do. I knew I was after Blake, so I was good. Yeah, I was, we forgot I was to scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> and for the half of you who will leave us, because I do see the analytics, and half of you drop off at this point every show. For the half of you who will leave us, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, leave a review, and help us keep this show growing. We just hit two hundred and twenty-five thousand views, and we are in listens, and we are this close to a quarter of a million. So thanks so much for continuing to grow this thing. And please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, join us on the social medias so you can play around with Jesse and her Zathrai, as well as, uh, <laughs> as well. It's comments like that when we wonder how 225,000 listens and views <laughs> of people putting up with us and our bullshit. We don't understand it. We really don't. What is wrong with you people? Why are you listening? In your review as to why you're still here. That's it. That's it. The next thing on Apple is please leave a review of why the fuck do you listen to us? Please. (laughs) On the next episode of how fucking stupid can we get? It sounds like a live episode right there. Let's just talk about how fucking stupid we can get on Gray 17. We can get pretty fucking stupid. (laughs) Or as Zathras would say, click, click, bloody click, click. Stop. I, I'm with Emily. I can't fucking stand that noise he was making. Okay. Ew, mm-hmm. ew, 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 ew. Yeah. <laughs> no. When I hear that, that's uh, not what I'm thinking of. No, same. <laughs> Bonus achievement unlocked. I know what to do to annoy the piss out of all you guys now. <laughs> okay. Bye. All right. Walk uh, about next week, Justin. Walk about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The Rim. And beyond that, the truth. I'm in a foul mood. I had a terrible day, so let's move this along. Well, go fuck yourself, too. (laughs) It's only the great episodes where I pull out a bottle of whiskey and start chugging it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is a spoiler warning. If you have not watched past War Without End, we're going to be talking about what happens for the rest of the show. So this is where you should drop off. So, guys, we're going to get into the questions and predictions. But the first thing... Blake, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, going to more of a deep dive of the 
shadow war that happened a thousand years prior to Babylon 5. Yeah, because I think that's the one thing our newbies kind of glossed over. Um, granted, they were all kind of glazed over anyway from this episode, but the, the shadow war, you know, we get the title War Without End. The shadow war never really ends, right? Up until this point, it's been a, they push each other, one side kind of goes dormant, but the war always heats back up. It's almost been a cycle. And this a thousand years ago being the last cycle and the significance of Babylon 4 is without that station, the shadows would have been in a much stronger position coming into this latest cycle. And they wouldn't have been able to to take them on or to to win at this point. So I think when you get the war without end title, it really gets into how much of a cycle this shadow uh, cycle between hot and cold war has been between the two sides, between the uh, the Vorlons manipulating the younger races and the other sides in this. So I think they kind of missed that in a, in a few ways. And they've all been asking, you know, what about the Shadow War? They missed a good chance here to kind of dive into some of that. To your point about the war never ending, too, that's kind of Delenn's mantra at the end is like, yeah, the 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 bad guys change, but there's always going to be fighting between light and dark as well, too. But yeah, I agree. I, I, I tried to make those connections every once in a while, like, you know, we now know not only Valen, but we know about the Triluminary. We know about the Vorlons and so forth and so on. So I'm hopeful that as we get closer to the end of the season, uh, our our newbies will continue to make some connections. Because I think this is really the, the buildup towards the end. Season four, and we know season four was truncated because of the potential end of the show. But season four and season five are really kind of wrap up. Whereas in season three is kind of answering those questions. So we'll see. So let's get into the questions of our newbies. And the first question comes from Jesse, and it is simple. What the fuck? Anyone want to answer? What the fuck? Why the fuck? Timey wimeys. I actually think this is one of the the easiest time travel stories to understand. <laughs> it's not bad, but it isn't it isn't the easiest because there are at least what four different points in time that are come into play during this. I guess. I mean, if you count the flash forwards, but really when it comes down to it, those are just kind of ancillary. Well, it's it's flash forwards. It's the fact that in in current time, you're taking the White Star back in time a few years to grab a space station to take it back even further in time. And oh, by the way, you've already seen part of this before. Well, <laughs> and, and I know... Okay. And they had to jump around a couple of times when they're on the White Star. They're four years ago. They're yeah. two years, you know. So, yeah. like I said, it's, it's not... It's not A to B and back again. It's a little bit more complex than that. And okay, I'll give you that. I mention this a lot more in our B, uh, Beyond the Rim for Babylon Squared, and I'll be releasing our Babylon Prime episode hopefully next week. But I also I, I find it really fun to watch this, knowing that at least partially when JMS was writing Babylon Squared and planning for the flip side of War Without End, his intention... And I don't know if it was at the time he was writing Babylon Square, but at least his intention for most of season one was B4 was going to go into the future and replace a Babylon 5 that was destroyed. So not only did he have to tie all these loose ends together with time travel and the timey-wimey, but he changed his story <laughs> between Babylon Squared and War Without End and was still able to stick the landing. I think that's impressive. So let's do one of those flash forwards. And the first one that the uh, newbies hit on a lot was the Centauri Prime 2277-ish, 
with Sheridan and Londo. And the first question is, is Londo under someone else's control? And I don't understand why all the newbies didn't see the damn keeper because he had tentacles coming out of his neck. I I was really confused by that. I mean, I I thought they were fairly clear about it in the episode. I mean, he basically spelled it out that the friends of the Mm -hmm. shadows came to Centauri Prime and put everybody on lock. Like, yeah, he's under someone else's control. Well, and to I'm Justin's like, question, and it's not the exogenesis creatures either. It, it's no. a, it's the Drock and their keepers. Yeah, which we haven't met the Drock yet, and we really won't meet the Drock in this series. We'll hear we'll meet them more in Crusade for five minutes. But yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty clear. I mean, when you look at Londo, he's got three tentacles and an eye thing on his shoulder. So it was kind of fascinating to me that the guys didn't catch on to that. But maybe it's because I've watched the show way too many times. I mean, he pulled his collar down and, like, showed him. Yeah, I, and I then... I really don't know why everybody got up to go get a drink at the exact same moment. <laughs> this, Although, but... I will say, back in the 90s, I was reading through the JMS responses on Lurker's Guide, and at least one person asked which eye opened up during the fight. I'm like, it was the keeper. It was fairly clear it was the keeper. Why are you asking that? Yeah. The other thing the, the newbies didn't catch on that, or at least didn't talk about, was... Londo didn't start fighting back until the Keeper took over. Mm-hmm. So we know Jakar dies at, at the same time. It really wasn't Londo that kills Jakar. Jakar kills Londo, but the Keeper kills Jakar. I'm looking forward to the episode where and I'm blanking on the name of it right now. It's in season four. I'm, I may, may even be season five. I'm sorry. I don't even remember at this point. But when Londo meets Jakar for the last time on Centauri Prime, when he knows he is going to go get his keeper. And that scene between Peter and Andreas is the best scene that those two share in the entire show. So I'm looking forward to that scene of the newbies making that connection when we get to that point. So the next question is, was this one of the prophesized chances for Londo to have redemption? And guys, we, we've had this debate. Some of us think it is, and some of us don't think it is. So where are we at? It depends on if we're listening to JMS on any given day. <laughs> He's given both responses. Yes. <laughs> I still absolutely believe that killing the man who is already dead is Sheridan. Yeah, I Londo kills Sheridan, then he fails. Yeah, I agree with that now. But uh, I think I had originally said at some point that I thought maybe, or at least I threw out there that it could have been Morden. But and you're not alone, Kevin. A lot of people on the internet to this day, it's still a debate, say that Morden is the one when he cuts Morden's head off. That is a failed redemption. But yeah, no, because that would I don't know. The the only thing against that is it would preclude the need for two redemptions in order to have it be successful. But mm-hmm. clearly, clear, I, I don't know. I think clearly Sheridan is the, not to kill the one that's already dead. And it's pretty clear that Londo is successful because he tells Jakar, you know, to kill me. And that's his that's his greatest fear. So mm-hmm. that all makes yeah. sense to me. And those are the last two prophecies is if all else has failed, giving in to your greatest fear. And he's been he we we know that Centauri are born with their the their their death in their dreams. So his entire life he has seen Jakar kill him, and he gives in to his greatest fear and lets Jakar kill him. So stupid stupid question. Do do we know in the flash forward? We know Delana is in a prison cell. Do we yes. know that 
that Sheridan in her timeline is dead? No, he's not. This is 17 years in the future. So Sheridan and Dillon are in a prison cell, and we will see that in in the beginning as well, too. We'll also see that in an episode of B5 as well, too. So Sheridan leapt into the body. Quantum leap thing. So so in what way would he be killing the man who's already dead? In what way is Sheridan already He's already dead because he died in Zahadum, mm-hmm. which goes into another question. I'll, I'll cut it out now. Uh, why does Delenn tell Sheridan not to go to Zahadum? Because he dies. And that means when he comes back, because Lorien brings him back, he's given a 20-year-old battery, a 20-year battery life. And at this point, when Delenn is seeing him, he's 17 years in. So if he doesn't die right there on Centauri Prime, he only has three years of life left. And that's that's part of what she's talking about with the, the terrible, terrible price. Yes. Is the terrible personal price that they're both paying by having their time shortened dramatically. We know that Minbari are longer lived than humans, but what is he, 40, at most 45? And yeah. by the 2260s and 70s humans are going to live easily you know probably 100 years yeah franklin drops like i I can't remember the actual number but franklin says in season one that with good health a human can live 130 140 years right so they're cutting off a ton of his time Mm -hmm. by him going to zahadum but of course he feels compelled to do so well hell we see in deconstruction of falling stars that Delenn is around 100 years later without Sheridan. So she's going to spend a lot of her life without her soulmate, and she knows it. Yeah. Which is the other thing, too. The other prediction or question was, what happened in 17 years that took away Sheridan's innocence? Again, it was the Shadow War and the fact that he had to sacrifice himself to end it. Um, let's see. What's next? Okay. I, I did like how Justin referred to this. Is it the only way to end the Centauri slash Biff timeline is to surrender to the shadows? Yes. I'm not, I'm not sure why you would think that that would end it. Or well, Delenn it says it. Delenn says it, though. She's the, the reason why they got to this timeline is Centauri Prime got targeted by the Drac because they took out the shadows or the, the Alliance took out the shadows. And so the Delenn says the only way to stop this part from happening is we have to give into the shadows. Yeah. Which they obviously could not. No. I guess what I was getting at is why would anybody think that that would make the future any better? <laughs> well, it wouldn't, I think that was Delenn's yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Is that it, it, it wouldn't have been worth doing. Yeah. I mean, they, if they were willing to, you know, and I'm not trying to put one over the other because it's terrible, but, you know, if they were willing to sacrifice the Narn, you know, to save the rest of the galaxy, yeah, yeah, you, you got to be willing to sacrifice the Centauri too. That's a really good point, Kevin. And that's why actually I, I love the the conflict in Delenn. She knows for this war to, with the Shadows to end, Sheridan has to go to Zaha Doom because he nukes the, mo- the, the most of their forces, which allows them a fighting chance. But she also, as his wife, doesn't want him to do it. So the conflict there is great. Uh, moving on to Delenn's flash forward, who opens Sheridan's door while Delenn is creepily watching Sheridan sleep? Oh, don't you want to know, newbies? I did like that Emily, like, I recognize the voice, and I was about ready to say, and I stopped myself, did you ever watch Little House on the Prairie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's she's the wife of two men at this time, because she's married to Sheridan, but she's also married to Box Lightner. (laughs) Yep, we recast Sheridan's wife, and no one's going to notice... 
because no one remembers that one scene in that one episode. You say oh, that, but I, I'm going to hold you to the... Who wants to bet Emily doesn't sit there and go, that's not the same one. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay, the same. Where did she right. go? You're right, you're right. Well, we're going to find out soon enough because that happens very soon. Emily was very set on she's seen the snow globe before. I can't remember, guys. Did we ever see the snow globe before? I don't think so. I thought I remember. I was trying to go back and think, but I couldn't. And I actually Googled it. I was like, go Babylon 5 snow globe. And the only thing I could find was Delenn drops it. And by the way, she drops it two different ways, depending on the scene you're watching. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't part of uh, something that the sister gave I don't remember her. I don't remember her giving him gifts. No, I don't either. I'm looking that episode up real quick, just to see. I do remember the newbies did not like that episode at all, and they really hated Sheridan's sister. Right. Yeah, I don't think it shows up till uh, till then. Drops the thing. Right. She just picks up a bobble. Okay, moving on. So, last one on the flash forwards. I probably should have asked this earlier. Is is the Londo timeline still the timeline? So, like I said, we we do know that the Ivanova timeline does disappear, but uh, Justin wants to know if this is still the timeline. Yeah, that's the real timeline. Um, that really happens. It's 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 terrible, especially for Jakar, who is certainly one of the heroes of the series. With uh, you know the amount of um, sacrifice he goes through, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that Veer becomes Emperor, and I'm going to guess that things probably get a little better for them and for the uh, Centauri after that. Well, I think we see that too. In Sleeping in Light, which happens about three years after this, Veer seems to have his shit together. For the first time ever for a Centauri Emperor, my guess is. Yeah, for at least a while, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing with that too is... Uh, JMS brought this up when he was asked this question uh, in the 90s, and that is, why did you tell us the ending of the story? And he said, well, now you get to find out how we get to that ending. So, and then Justin brought it up too. He's like, how do how does, it, how does uh, he get taken over by whatever he got taken over by? We still have a lot of story. Just knowing the ending doesn't mm-hmm. uh, change that. I mean, shit, Mission Impossible 3 starts with the end of the movie. I mean, it's, it's a trope that's been done in writing a lot. Strange New World is doing it right now. Yeah, that's very true. And I actually like that dynamic. Yeah. So, because Nicole loves the baby making, do Sharon and Delenn actually make a baby? Yes. Yes. And no, you cannot watch. And no, we (laughs) don't ever see David. Do we get to see them make David? No, we don't. I'm sorry. You won't get to meet David either. No, that's, that's the interesting thing. And we'll talk more about it when we talk the original plan for Babylon 5. But David is always the interesting thing because we never get to see david he's maris crane (laughs) (laughs) he's mrs norm from uh from cheers because as as we discussed uh with the original plan david was going to be a huge factor in the second series of babylon 5 if it ever happened he's i mean even in lost tales he gets mentioned as like a wave of the hand yeah david's around and that's really about it and i i was one of the guys who fought when the road home cast got announced that the david sheridan on the cast was going to be david too but nope we still don't know we've never seen david he's nothing yeah i i I guessed it was going to be the dad and it's not like taking any credit for for uh guessing a 50 50 and getting right but um i don't know i think it's kind of great that we don't see david it's uh you know you don't have to show everybody i I agree and i think like there's 
a very tired trope in in Hollywood writing, which is like either everybody is somehow related to somebody else or like if your parents were great, then the next generation is going to somehow be great and special. And like, I'm sorry, that's just not reality. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my mouth shut because Kevin's gonna kill yes, me. Yes, you're gonna. <laughs> Moving yeah. on. I know. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, I, I just put this in here because Emily always throws out weird shit questions. Why is Sinclair's writing in horror films font? <laughs> that was well, a very valid question. You see, Sinclair went to Jesuit schools. That's true. <laughs> and so his handwriting is probably immaculate because you get smacked around if it wasn't. I guess also, too, my thought is he has a lifetime to you know plan out this letter so he's going to take his time to learn, <laughs> to learn sure, calligraphy yeah make sure it's very very pretty um i know justin kind of alluded to it but this is the one too where jms i i, I don't dog him for it but my god this is straight out of back to the future too which came before this by yeah. about a decade because hey we found this box <laughs> and it's got a message for you in it <laughs> and it needs to be delivered by western union at this time at this yeah. day it has to be delivered this day and we had a pool in the back to see if anyone was going to be <laughs> we actually had this question like i think in season one <laughs> yeah we still don't know i i'm willing makes... to bet it's effectively forever well <laughs> the, the, the Oh, they say at one point that you know it's been so long since any of them died that they uh so it's probably it's if it's not infinite it's it almost is if they're not yeah. killed the one thing we do know is the shadows are more long-lived than the vorlots the shadows are very very close to the literal first ones like lorian and the vorlons come after so they're not as long-lived as the shadows but you're right i mean they they can last i would assume millennia was the vorlon at the beginning the same vorlon who was uh with valen or sinclair we don't know maybe uh it's not that many of them we know that so there's probably a decent chance I mean, would they really need a Vorlon on on Minbar after this? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we don't know for sure. I mean, there there may be some extra media that a book somewhere that may have talked about, but I haven't read all the books because they're out of print. And if you would like to send me a copy of all the books, gray17podcast at gmail.com. I'm happy I mean, to do that. And it comes down to who gives a shit because there's not like a segment of the story called ranger one and his sidekick bosh so i do think it's cool though like the when we in the in the beginning we do see that kosh and another vorlon are you know pulling the strings with both ducat and then with delin so i i do love the fact that the vorlons are always in the shadows pun intended working this out so um but yeah you're right mike it's it, it's it's kind of ancillary the last question, and you can insert your crusade jokes now. What is the next great story after Sheridan? It sure as fuck isn't crusade. <laughs> and we know it's not the Lost Tales either. Which Justin has apparently found a copy of the Lost Tales and has now twice asked us if he should pick it up. And we've we've all told him if he does, he can't watch it, but he's not missing much if he just ignores it. Yeah, yeah, he did the same thing to me on on saturday or sunday when i was there and he's like hey so tell me if i have this i'm like justin this is not in your box set so, <laughs> yes you have the lost tales now congratulations 
don't watch it and don't google it (laughs) (laughs) i will say though uh as much as the Lost Tales are not good, and I agree they're not good, the 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 two z- scenes with, uh, not scenes, but the, the the story with Lockley and Galen are the best we actually get out of those two actors. I think the Lockley story is the best Lockley we get, and I always love Galen, so Galen showing up is great, but yeah, the Lost Tales are not good at all. And we're still debating... Not much of a debate, but we're debating if we're going to even review those suckers uh, on this podcast. We'll see. Tell us what you think. Should we uh, Should we uh, make the newbies suffer through the Lost Tales? Let us know. Okay, I'm, let's move into... Oh, I'm going to put a shadow of myself up in front of a movie theater and crack jokes. Not that I'm very <laughs> funny, but I'll find a way to be. So you want to MST3K this? I, I, yes. Yeah. I, I happen to know a producer of MST3K, so we could ask him if we should do that or not. Okay. Mike? Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> Mike is a producer of MST3K. I guess I technically am. <laughs> I'm not lying, right? I, I'd have to go back and check my paperwork. Okay. All I know is I threw a lot of money at them, so yes, I might be a producer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're in the credits. Um, okay, so let's move into predictions. And there wasn't many predictions, which I'm surprised by, but Sheridan will go to Zaha Doom, and it will have tragic consequences. Yeah. I mean, you might have nailed that, Justin, but not the first time. It absolutely is tragic. That's true. But it's also what has to happen. Mm. Sheridan going to Zaha Doom ends the war. I mean, it's going to take a little bit into season four to get it ended. The next prediction, and again, I throw this in here just because, you know, Jesse needs to be picked on every now and then. Jesse will continue to add nothing to the conversation. I disagree with Jesse. I think she adds a lot to the conversation. (laughs) <laughs> but she disagrees. She's just a little off her game in this one. That's all. I think the uh, I, th- I think the time travel threw her for a loop. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Very punny. <laughs> Kevin brings the dad jokes. And finally, prediction from Nicole: shit will escalate. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made it though. In I mean, these parlance. Zaha Doom is rated as the second best episode of Babylon 5 by the P5 score Lucre's Guide. And I don't disagree with that. I think Zaha Doom is the high watermark of this series. And we're going to be there pretty quick. So, Well, and Rock cried out, no hiding place. Oh, yeah, well, that's season four. About, but yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some good stuff coming. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually very fascinated to see how season four and season five are taken by our newbies. Because season three has been a very good season, I think. Uh, and it has not been a slow burn, but it has been, you know, it hasn't been fast paced. Season four is a fucking roller coaster because they're trying to get to the end. And season five is season five. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the newbies have to say about these last two seasons. But we still got a few episodes less in season three. So we'll get there when we get there. But yes, shit will escalate, Nicole. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about or bitch about before we end this episode? Just curious to see what they think next week with Walkabout. It says yeah. all of them thought like freaking Biggs was done with the series. Yeah, they all think Biggs is gone. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where they go with that episode and what their thoughts on it are. Well, we'll go on a walkabout with Dr. Franklin here next week. Uh, until then, I have been Scott, and with me has been Blake, Mike, and Kevin. And go ahead and please make sure you like, subscribe, follow, leave us a review. 
We really do appreciate all of you coming along on this journey. I just had a few people on Twitter, actually like three or four people in the past week message me saying they've just found us and they are starting to rewatch because of us. So people are still finding us and we really do appreciate that. And we hope that you continue on this journey with us. We still got a long way to go until we get to the end. We're looking at October of 2024 and we'll be there. So thanks for joining us and we'll talk next week about the good Dr. Franklin. Bye. No one ever listens to Zathras. Quite mad, they say. It is good that Zathras does not mind. He's even grown to like it. Oh, yes.